Blog Talk Radio. Welcome in, friends, to the Jazz Mill Broadcast, a celebration of all things jazz, featuring the great music of and interviews with some of the hottest singers and players on the planet. As always, your calls and feedback are welcome. Now, your host, Scott Henderson. Yes, sir. Yes, indeed, indeed. I love the way he says my name. I do indeed. <laughs> hey, welcome in, folks, to the Jazz Mill Podcast. Uh, hey, here's a fun fact for you. Did you know that researchers at Oxford University recently found a correlation between high IQ and those who like jazz? And that the more people listened to jazz, the smarter they became, which is outstanding news for a guy like me. Uh, on top of that, the overwhelming majority of jazz listeners uh, floss daily. They change their motor oil every 3,000 miles, uh, and most of them have their very own Netflix subscription. Uh, like the man said, I'm your humble host, Scott Henderson, and we are going to do our level best to entertain you with great music and great interviews with the hottest players, singers, composers, and authors on the planet. As always, we invite your calls at 515 515- 602-9600, that's 515-602-9600, or if you'd be more comfortable uh, meeting up with folks in our chat room, you can do that as well. Uh, boy, do we have a dandy teed up for you today as we uh, have part two of our time with the great Scott Yano, who is the quintessential jazz author, historian, and reviewer. He has authored 12 books, written over 900 liner notes, and more than 20,000 interviews. Uh, countless reviews uh, with the masters of the genre, and uh, we are just uh, tickled pink to be promoting his good book, uh, his latest, Life Through the Eyes of a Jazz Journalist. My Jazz Memoirs is uh, what we're going to be focused on. We covered some of that last week, but we're going to get into some of the wonderful uh, latter chapters of that book uh, today with him. Uh, Welcome in, Steamboat. How are you, sir? Pretty good. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, our pleasure. Uh, Believe me, hey, we had on a mutual friend um, who sends his uh, warmest regards, Brent uh, Fisher, uh, yesterday, and uh, he he says, howdy, Uh, you've you've had occasion to to, uh, speak with him, I imagine, uh, before you're both in the same neck of the woods, as I understand it. Oh, yeah, and he's a great arranger, so he's, you know, he's had some real good releases out. Yeah, he has. He's had a nice uh, career, and uh, like you, uh, boy, he's not at all done. He seems to just be uh, full of uh, ideas and uh, a prolific, uh, bright mind, to be certain, uh, like your own. Uh, we had a great time, uh, at least from my perspective last week, talking about your entry into writing about jazz, uh, some of your festival coverage. Uh, and uh, favorite artist interviews. This week, we're going to dig into the rest of your fabulous book, Life Through the Eyes of a Jazz Journalist, My Jazz Memoirs. But a little bit of housekeeping, uh, Scott. I know we, uh, you and I uh, and Greg, uh, fumfered around a little bit uh, in defining what jazz is. I think we agreed, uh, the three of us, that uh, it's kind of a nebulous thing, and uh, maybe you shouldn't put too sharp a point on it in trying to define it. But I thought uh, I would look it up, and uh, that's exactly what I did. Uh, opened up the old dictionary. Webster's uh, describes it uh, as follows. 
Jazz is a decidedly American invention derived especially from Dixieland, ragtime, and the blues, uh, characterized by propulsive syncopated rhythms, polyphonic ensemble playing, varying degrees of improvisation, and often deliberate distortions in pitch and timbre. Uh, styles include swing, bebop, fusion, and free jazz. Uh, what did they miss, Scott? Do you think of anything? Well, it, it, that, that's not bad. That's not bad for a definition, even though it's kind of long. Uh, you know, the thing is, is that a, a lot of the, a lot of the jazz that's been created since about 1980 really doesn't have a name at all. I mean, it's you, you yeah. want to say it's post-bop, but but it doesn't really fit into a historic style necessarily. I mean, if you if you're going back and playing bebop, then you could say it's that or hard bop or cool jazz. But but much of the music today, really, it's beyond a a certain term. I mean, jazz would probably be a little more popular if they had some more catchy terms, really. But, you know, I mean, what do you call uh-huh. Palestinian music? You know, it, it's jazz. Yeah, jazz, yeah. But, but beyond that, it doesn't right. fit into any of those categories. And that's true of, you know, the great majority of the young players. It's, you know, they learn the historic styles when they start out, but then they create their own music. And, yeah, so it, it's really, it's always going to be difficult to define. Because like, like I said, I think last time was that when you have the most creative musicians in the world playing a music, you know, it's very hard to put any limitations on it. You know, it's really up to them. Yeah. As long as, yeah. It, as, long as it's creative and as long as there's a certain amount of improvisation, you know, I think it definitely falls into jazz. Yep. Yep. I agree. I think uh, there are a few uh, key elements uh, that, that, that you'd, you'd probably say are a part of uh, most of it, if not all of it. But uh probably good healthy that we don't try to stuff it into a box uh, and allow some room for, you know, the very thing that makes it special to us. And that's the, uh, the, the improvisational aspect of it, uh, the, the uncertainty of it. And uh, that's what keeps it fresh for, for a guy like uh, you, uh, certainly with all the music that you listen to and review and write about. And for a, you know, a, a person like me who uh, loves that variety. I mean, I just, uh, that's why the American, the great American songbook exists because You've got players who will give it uh, a, a new treatment, uh, you know, instrumentally, uh, in, in, in time signature, in, in lyrical treatment. I mean, there's just a million ways to, to uh, portray all of this stuff, and, uh, and that makes it interesting to the ear. I think you'd agree. Well, Scott, oh, yeah. I was looking. Uh, by 95, uh, you must have been uh, very tired at the end of uh, on New Year's Eve, uh, 1995. Uh, it, it, according to your book, you saw and wrote about 102 uh, live performances, uh, which is almost humanly impossible. Uh, I believe you when you say it, because I know you're still keeping quite a quite a vigorous work schedule, but. Uh, that may have been your record year in terms of uh, seeing and writing about. I wonder if you care to to share a recollection or two from a few of those that uh, you saw during the course of that year, and maybe I can get you warmed up by uh, asking you to talk a little bit about Sun Sun Ra, please. Oh, okay. yeah, well, living near Los Angeles, I mean, there's, there's not as much jazz as there is, say, in New York, but there was an awful lot of great musicians p- passing through town and playing at the local clubs. And I was fortunate, it was, I was lucky that I uh, wrote down basically 
a list, and I did this for about 20 years, still doing it, uh, a yeah. list of yep. all the groups that I got to see and the dates. And when I went back you know, to put together this book and I looked at 1995, I was just amazed at so many great <laughs> no. plays, many of whom aren't around anymore, but they just happened to be in Los yeah. Angeles, and I was lucky enough to see them. So yeah. in the case of Sun Ra, you know, he's, he's a very, he was a very unique figure in that you know, he was way ahead of his time and a lot of the, a lot of the uh, qualities of his music and the freedom that he had in his music. But he made it difficult for the average person to really take seriously because he would put out records where it didn't have any date. And maybe the first, if it was an LP, maybe the first side would be from, say, 1992, and the second side would be from 1962. And, and it wouldn't say yeah. anything about it. So then you wouldn't really know that he was playing electric keyboards in the 50s and he was you know, doing all kinds of very interesting music way ahead of you know, decades ahead of other people but you wouldn't really sure. know and so when i saw him let's see i saw him two or three times along the way and i just remember that it was almost like a variety show he would there was one time i saw him <laughs> and i'm not this might have been 1992 or, or 1995 i guess uh, that well, I, I just remember the first hour or so, his band was playing a free improvisation, really, really intense, and wow. you know, just a, you know, blowing quite a few interesting ideas. But then suddenly, it, on a signal that he made, they suddenly went to a Fletcher Henderson tune, a Fletcher Henderson arrangement, and suddenly they were playing swing. Yeah. After this, after an hour, and you know, the place just exploded. Yeah. Cause yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, they needed know, the, the relief, right? Relief. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Right. Because anything, anything like that, but more know. of that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because, yeah he he was. Uh, go ahead. Oh yes, yeah. Well, he he would. You know, his fans sometimes they would dress in outfits that were like a mixture of outer space science fiction outfits, but at the same time <laughs> paying paying tribute to ancient Egypt. So it was an interesting combination, and and his music music was kind of like that. It would go back to very early days, and. But then again, it was also pushing ahead, and he would, he, you know, in addition to group chants and singing, and he, he, I remember once he had someone twirling plates, and he had jugglers, and he, you know, fire eaters. <laughs> so it all depended on the period of time. But it was yeah, definitely a variety yeah. show. <laughs> that is a variety show, yeah. Bring out the uh, the dancing poodle. Uh, that's great. And, and alleged, uh, I think he claimed he'd been uh, born on Saturn. If I if I have your your notes right, uh, maybe he was telling us that in jest. But uh, uh, an interesting bird for sure, and a uh, great talent, as you point out, and not afraid of. Uh, some some experimentation, and that uh, is in part what made him, uh, I'm sure, interesting to you as you saw him more than once. Uh, how about, if, do you have any uh, recollections of uh, your time seeing a young uh, uh, Branford Marsalis that you'd like to share? Oh, yeah, I think that was the time. It was at the Roxy, which was a rock club in Los Angeles, and Branford Marsalis was it just just really kind of starting out he 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 was he was known but he he was on his way up and he had a quartet at that time with with Kenny Cook on piano but the thing i remember most mm. is that the opening act was Harry Connick Jr playing solo piano wow. not not singing yeah. at all yeah. just, just just playing solo piano and at the uh. time i thought well he he sounded, sounded a lot like Thelonious Monk you know doing Thelonious Monk doing stride kind of but i remember his time was a little bit off and i thought well, he should, you know, he should uh-huh. get a bass player. And the next time I saw him, he had a bass player. So, and then he, he had a bass player. 
What did he should have hired you to consult? Yeah, all that talent in there uh, just needed somebody to help with meter. Uh, and what a great vocalist he is. We have a verbal from him in the first quarter of the coming year, and that'll be a lot of fun for, for me uh, to, to uh, talk with him. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll remind him of some of these early days. But, uh, yeah, you were seeing him uh, at 27 and 20, respectively, as I, as I have it in your book. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just kids. Just, just babies in the grand scheme of things, and uh, so much talent to, to, to uh, you know, uh, develop and, and grow. And boy, did they both ever do that! Uh, how about Dizzy Gillespie when you saw him in '95? Hmm. I had to really think about that one because I saw him at a variety of different times. I mean, I saw him as early as like 1974. Anyway. And uh-huh. In fact, I, I should just mention that particular one. He was at the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco, and he had John Fattis with him. John Fattis was uh, uh-huh. maybe 19 at the time or 20. Probably, yeah, probably 20. And so it was like Dizzy would take a solo, and then John Fattis would play the same solo an octave higher. <laughs> So it's like having two, you know, two busy Gillespie yeah. on stage at the same time. Right, right. And what a great talent. And one of the gentlemen, one of the great gentlemen of the uh, the genre, as I understand it. Um, the, uh, the One of the other ones that you, you talk quite a bit about uh, is Bobby McFerrin, how he uh, put on a two-hour-plus show with uh, – well, I won't, I won't take your punchlines, but uh, uh, tell us about that if you'd be so kind. Oh yeah, well this this Bobby McFerrin was on his way up at the time, and he, he what was amazing about his show is that he was unaccompanied. All he had was a microphone. Yeah, you know, so basically he, yeah. and he kept it entertaining for two hours, and you know he had the ability to he'd make a sound when he inhaled, so he, that way he uh-huh. continuous continuous sounds basically and continuous creativity. Yeah. And he'd have, he had the audience do really complex sing-alongs, and, you know, it, it, was, it was quite good. I wish he'd continued like that. You know, what happened with him is he had an unexpected pop hit with Don't Worry, Be Happy, and I, I get, always got the feeling that he was a little embarrassed by that, and then he kind of became a classical conductor, which is, you know, which is something that was in his heritage, but he should have, he should have stuck to doing unaccompanied concerts because a lot of years have passed. He still can be greater than on a moment's notice, but... But I think that was really, uh, you know, something that was his most innovative in that setting. Yeah, that that song was uh, both a, a gift and a, and a curse to him. It seems like uh, like Kenny G's circular breathing. He had an ability uh, with his breath to do things that you know most people can't can't even think about doing. Uh, but yeah, he was he was a, the first I learned of him was was of course his big hit, and then. Um, you know, thereafter, I, we, I kind of thought he'd, he'd uh, you know, gone on to something different, but uh, uh, a wonderful talent and uh, presumably, uh, you know, uh, still still doing something with music out there. You say he's a conductor now um, at this point. Oh, well, well, he did that for a while and then he came back. I saw him do a concert maybe a few years ago and, and he still sounds, he still sounds great. A lot of years have passed, yeah. and I wish there were a lot more records of him, really, because he, he was yeah. one of the most amazing singers around, really. He, he, truly, truly, and no one like him. I can't think of anybody that, uh, you know, did anything even in his category, practically. Uh, how about President Bill Clinton? Did he, did he get out the horn for you? No, unfortunately not. <laughs> 
you know, he didn't. Some people would say fortunately. Some people would say fortunately, but I think it'd be more. It would have been interesting to see him do that. Uh, now that yeah. you know, he spoke at a at a Thelonious Monk uh, uh, contest. Okay. At one of the Thelonious Monk contests, and I got to see him do that. But yeah, and you know, he was yeah. he was very humble, and he he talked about how. You know, he, he earlier he wanted to be a, a jazz musician, but then he realized he would never he would never be Coltrane, and you know he just went into other areas. But he always loved the music. Yeah, uh, Hillary uh, talked some sense into him, but um, yeah, I've I've heard him play on some of the late night shows, and he's he's not awful. Uh, I would I would tell you that. Uh, I think he's a better horn player than Huckabee as a bass player, if you want my opinion. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, we we we. <laughs> I'm not sure that's saying much, but we we share an affection, I think, for for Diana Krall. I've seen her uh, any number of times uh, here in Chicago, and I, I love the work that she does in, uh, you know, carrying on the, the Great American Songbook. She seems to uh, really have a love for for those tunes, and uh, you know, I, I I just think she's a, a wonderful talent, a good little good little player and singer to boot uh your your thoughts oh well she was always she was always pretty good you know she's a, a fine piano player and a personable singer and you know and, and she is still probably the best known name of any living jazz musician you know because i was thinking the other yeah, day like, who, 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 who's the best who's the best known jazz musicians that are alive and you know the ones that could fill stadiums and well come close yeah. to it and it'd be, and it'd be her, yep. George Benson, and Harry Connick Jr. They're the three best known to the average person. Right. Unfortunately, right. You know, a, a lot of the a lot of the other great talents aren't really known beyond the jazz world. But but those three, you know, they're almost household names to a certain extent. Yeah. It's true. It's all true. And uh, last one I'll ask you about is um, I think you saw on the same stage um, an aging Jimmy Smith and the late great Joey D. Francesco. Oh, see, Joey. Now, Jimmy Smith could be kind of hard to get along with, you know, personality-wise. In fact, the one time I did line notes for him, his publicist said, "Well, don't even try to interview him. You know, just write the notes for that." Because he, because he had the uh, the reputation of being kind of grumpy and, you know, not all that friendly. But Joey De Francesco knew him from an early age, and you know, when Joey De Francesco was just a kid and then he was a teenager and he would always paid a great deal of respect to him. So they, they had kind of a friendship and uh, he was like the main influence on Joey DeFrancesco early on. So the time I saw them, uh, it was only about a year before Jimmy Smith died and, and it was unusual for him to be sharing a stage with another organist. But, uh, you know, and even yes. though at that point to Francesco could easily outplay him, he was just very, very humble and kind. And, you know, he, he did have all he could to really help Jimmy Smith at that stage. And it, so it worked out yes. well, and it was great getting to see them together. Un, unselfish, and uh, uh, as you had to know that he was about to get the torch. And I saw the same thing um, on, you know, Ramsey Lewis had a show here in Chicago, and he had at one time uh, Joey and Dr. Lonnie Smith on. And, uh, you know, uh, Joey, you could you could see, was holding back. Uh, just a little bit. They were both uh, quite different in style, as as you'd agree, I bet, Scott. But uh, mm-hmm. had occasion to uh, get to see Joey in a club here called the Jazz uh, Showcase, and uh, we had uh, one wonderful seats right up front, and it's a I don't know, maybe a hundred uh, seater, and um, 
he could tell we were watching intently and came over, came right to our table. I was there with my brother, who's now deceased. And he uh, just couldn't have been nicer, uh, approachable. He asked if he could sit down, and, and he sat down with us, and he ordered a drink and um, asked, you know, where, you're, where are you guys from? And he was just, just a delight. And my brother um, was, is, uh, was a guitarist of, of some notoriety. He was a very good jazz player, and uh, he was commenting about uh, Peter Bernstein, who was playing with him, who you probably have heard of in the mill. And... Um, yeah. No sooner than did uh, Mike, my brother, say that, and he waved Peter over to the table, who also took a seat with us. And uh, it was just one of the great uh, generosities that I that I think I've ever seen in my brother uh, right up until the day he died, practically. He talked about uh, that experience. So. Uh, uh, yeah. <clears throat> I do Every time I tell it, I get, I get, I get all choked up, but... Um, there are a lot of good people, uh, Scott, in jazz, and Joey was one of them, and uh, we, we sorely miss him and his good works. Um, I'm going to take a quick little break, if you don't mind, give you a chance to catch your breath and me a chance to, to wipe my nose. And uh, when we come back, maybe I can get you to talk a little bit about some of the artists of the past that you consider uh, you know, among the greats, uh, the presence, and uh, maybe the next generation of players. Uh, I know people would be interested to hear your uh, learned uh, perspective on that. So let me just play a quick little musical interlude, if you will. Okay. So Scott, you mentioned uh, you mentioned in the book uh, you list out for us, and this is very uh, convenient. Um, you know who you regard as some of the past greats, and uh, a few that uh, hopped out to me. Uh, some of whom I've had the pleasure of seeing, like you, uh, Milt Jackson. A thought or two on on Milt Jackson, if you would. Oh yeah, well he was one of the all-time greats. Of- both of bebop and playing the vibes and you know i mean he rates up there with the top five or six top vibraphonists of all time you know you put him up there with lionel hampton red norville terry gibbs bobby hutchison gary burton and but Mill jackson might have been the biggest influence of all of them on uh certainly on vibraphone since since 1950 you know he he always had a classy tone and you know he always swung and he was a great bluesy player yeah, he was a wonderful player, and I uh, had occasion to see him at a place called Bubba's in Fort Lauderdale, uh, Florida. And again, close and personal, and uh, very gracious, and uh, just played a wonderful set of music for us. Um, Joe Pass, another one that everybody will know, 
uh, worked with all the greats. And, uh, you know, what I think was impressive, uh, you know, what I know about uh, uh, playing uh, jazz guitar, you could probably put into a, to a thimble and still, still have some room, but um, he, he, he did it uh, in such a way where he would, cover both the bass line and the, the melody line, which I know is no easy feat. That takes a special set of skills. But as you think about his work over the years, what what, what impressed you? Oh, well, he was a great bebop player, but, but the thing that was amazing about him is that he could play unaccompanied for, for a night. So he, yeah. could, he, he, could play yeah. sure, he could play Cherokee up-tempo on solo guitar, you know, yeah. without anybody else. And, and, you know, like you say, he'd, he'd be the bass lines, the melody, and harmony. And also, it'd be soloing. Yeah. It's where there were like two or three guitars. Now, Stanley Jordan, yeah. came, you know, came up you know, a decade or two after that, and he could mm-hmm. do he could do some of that. But but he, he he used the tapping technique. Joe Pass just plays more right. conventionally, but just but just at a, such a brilliant level that you know you'd swear there were a couple of guitars playing. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And uh, all he didn't do was sing, to my knowledge. <laughs> just didn't look like a uh, not to my knowledge. You may have you may have seen him sing. Who do, who knows? No, uh, I and I noticed one <laughs> only for only on his birthday and for parties. Um, one uh, I won't call it an exception, but uh, I don't see much in your book about uh, one of my favorites, uh, a piano player gone now. Uh, you probably guess who I'm talking about or thinking about, but Oscar Peterson. It was uh, obviously an important player. Um, did you have much to do with him in your career? May I ask? Well, I never met him, but I, I did see him play, you know, a half dozen times at least. And yeah, he was amazing. I mean, he'd, he'd rate pretty much at the top among jazz pianists, you know, Art Tatum being yeah. on a different cloud altogether. And then, uh-huh. you, know, you know, and there have been so many great piano players throughout history. I'll never write a book on jazz pianists because there's just too many. You know, you'd have to have a thousand a at least. But, but yeah, yeah. he's yeah. you know. He, he to me, um, had a great uh, ability to keep fresh his uh, his choices, his phrasing uh, always impeccable, and uh, never got so far out of bounds that he that he'd lose a guy like me. I, I tend to need it to be, you know, uh, uh, I need to hear that melody in there. I need, need the tonic once in a while to keep my keep my toe tapping and. Uh, he always uh, did that, or almost always did that. Uh, seemed to understand the, the importance of it and the limitations, maybe, of his game. I'm not sure, but yeah, he was he was wonderful. And for the same reason, uh, Scott, unless you have others you want to talk about from uh, you know past greats, as we shift into uh, some of the present uh, greats, um, one that I'm reminded of when I hear Peterson's play, uh, I think of the first pianist you mentioned, and I was tickled pink to see this because he's he's my modern day favorite and that's uh the the jamaican monty alexander uh who i think in style plays comparably to peterson do you hear some of that as you think about the two yeah that was an influence on him you know when he's doing a, a straight ahead a jazz song you know he often hints hints at, at oscar peterson but he also had that background in, in early reggae and you know, stuff from you bet. Latin America. So, so there's, you know, plenty of his own personality in the music too, but yeah, he's brilliant, of course. Yeah. And I think married to uh, Emily uh, Remling at one time, if I, if I have it right, who um, uh, was a 
good guitarist all all, all to herself uh but uh yeah he's he's a he's a, a forceful player he and peterson both had uh it was such certainty in their choices um i i i thought as i listened um and having seen um both of them play but only alexander up close uh, i actually saw him uh use his fist to to you know finish a song or to to play a a, a passage to just make a make a point he would he would bring his hands down on the on the piano and i actually saw him break a string on a piano which i don't think is that easy to do but yeah he was uh, they both uh you know what i mean i mean they they he just uh it wasn't disrespectful to the instrument he was just trying to you know uh really really sell his song and uh yeah i look at his game and i think you know some of that reggae uh, stuff. To, well, I like it. I wonder if it's uh, cost him a little bit with the jazz community uh, in general. Uh, maybe, maybe not. But uh, you mentioned Benson a couple of minutes ago, who I guess is still keeping a lot of tour dates. And uh, you know what a what a pioneer and uh, a guy that uh, you know really introduced quite a lot of us with that Breezing album uh to 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 people that uh you know were kind of on the fence about the whole idea of jazz uh, would you agree oh yeah well he had he had an awful lot of success you know with this masquerade you know from the breezing record and yeah and even though he kind of wandered off after that into doing you know vocal albums that were more on b and he always came back to jazz and whenever he wants to play it he's still among the best really yeah, he really is, and that uh, linking up to what he's playing on the fretboard uh, uh, to his vocal treatment is—I know that's not easy to do. It just shows his command of both. And uh, I've always said that uh, you know he's—he's he's, uh, every bit the vocalist, in my opinion, uh, as Al Jarreau is, and uh, plays one hell of a guitar. Um, another one that I've seen a couple of times. Uh, Kurt Elling is another one that you mentioned in terms of present artists. I don't know too much about him. Uh, I haven't had occasion to see him, but I think he's a Chicago guy. I think he actually owns uh, Barack Obama's old apartment uh, down on the lakefront. Uh, what are your uh, thoughts about him, please? Oh, yeah, he's the pace setter, you know, among male singers. I mean, particularly mm-hmm. after, Mark Murphy, after Mark Murphy passed away and, you know, after – Joe Williams and Mel Tomei left us. Uh, Kurt Elling basically doesn't have much competition, I don't think, among male singers. Now, now one could hold out for Gregory yeah. Porter, who's also brilliant. You know, he's he's to me he's a close second, but you know, if someone likes him better, that's fine. Because, but but those, yeah. those two are, are really the main male singers. It's kind of a small field. There's not that many male jazz singers compared to females, but. Uh, but those two, you know, definitely are keeping their music alive. And Kurt Elling, you know, he's he's really very much of an improviser too. So he's yes, you can tell he's yes. been playing with a lot of great jazz instrumentalists in the past, and because he he takes chances and he he pushes himself, and he he's not the same every year. It's, it's he tries different projects, so he's not afraid to stretch himself. Yeah. Always, always uh, looking to reinvent where where it makes sense. He's a, a semi regular to see uh, Greg's uh, band, Greg Rockingham, who you met last week uh, mm-hmm. at the Green Mill. He he will pop in there quite often, and uh, 
So we're working on uh, getting him. We have a verbal from him for first quarter, which which will be wonderful. So we'll have a chance to uh, uh, send him your regards. Uh, but um, as we shift again to uh, sort of next generation uh, folks, uh, Scott, um, who is catching your ear at this point? Well, you know, I went I went to the Monterey Jazz Festival, and it was about six weeks or so ago, and there was a trio set, a rather unusual trio, and that it. It was comprised of Gerald Clayton on piano, uh, Joel Roth on vibes, and Emmanuel Wilkins on alto. You know, so it's not not a typical piano-based drum trio, but a you know piano, alto, and vibes. And I think you know decades from now, people are going to look back and say, "Wow, well, you got to see those three guys." You know, because each of them is uh, yeah. having they, they have a great deal of potential for the future, and each of them are you know accomplishing quite a bit. Uh, there's also Samara Joy, who's a you know, great singer. She's only like 23 or so now. And and there's a whole bunch of, of very, very talented players who probably I haven't heard of. And, you know, they, they don't come necessarily come out to Los Angeles. And, but it seems like, uh, you know, and I've, I've said this before, that I think there are more talented jazz musicians active right now than at any time in its history. Even though they, they may not be big, big names and maybe only a few of them are known to the average person, but there's an awful lot of talent, really. There's thousands of great players all over the world. Yes, indeed. And uh, that they uh, are finding an audience out there, um, you know, it's it's got to be fun for them to play, and they have to feel like they're being heard and recognized. Uh, we both uh, know Elijah uh, rock and uh, some other, you know, young talent that uh, I think ought to be playing big, big venues and uh, someday will uh, is my hope for them and these others that you mentioned. Uh, they deserve a big stage, uh, and, and I hope that's their hope that's their journey. Um, yes, you and, and you know, I think that will happen. That will happen because a lot of the veterans from from past decades are passing on. So it's like you can't sure. really put together that great a band of people from the 50s anymore. And even the 60s, no. you know, other than Herbie Hancock and a few others, there aren't that many giants left from them. So now it's like the veterans are from the fusion days, you know, John McLaughlin or the 70s and 80s. They're, they're the senior statesmen now, which, you know, seems kind of odd to someone like me who remembers. <laughs> you know, I, I, remember, I remember when there were still a few people left in the 20s, but the, now it's like the 70s are the ones that are the older ones. So yeah, so yeah, yeah. There's, there's definitely going to be an opening for the young players, you know, who are taking over. And in fact, this happens all the time. You know, you look at the downbeat critics poll, and a lot of those names you don't necessarily recognize because they're up and coming players. There's, and there's so many of them. It's just a matter of uh, somehow getting publicity and getting recognition because it's not like it once was where there were maybe ten record labels that were interested in jazz. Now people are putting out their own music, which is great financial-wise, I think. But on the, as far as getting exposure, it's hard because they're competing with hundreds and hundreds of others. So yes, they'll, yes. they'll sort themselves out eventually. Well, you, you're, you're reading my mind. I know the, the whole uh, way music is distributed these days is, has changed quite a lot. Uh, you, you advise, I think, in the book uh, that new artists, any artists, not stream their works, that they're making pennies on the dollar when somebody else is cashing checks. Um, it, 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 that's that's here to stay, right? I, I don't know that that's ever ever going to go back, uh, go, go away, unfortunately. Um 
Nina Freelon went on to, uh, you're familiar with her. She went on to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the, uh, we should all be cautious of, you know, these uh, services that Pandora, for instance, that, that take some broad parameters and they begin to um, build tune lists for us. And, you know, so we are, uh, you know, fed the music that we, you know, think, think we're asking for, but we get little, outside of those parameters and she talked about the little green man in the box and that we should be aware of him uh, because we can get closed down to new forms of uh, music new and different stuff w- would you agree oh yeah that happens all the time i mean who's making decisions you know i mean i even yeah don't even say a decade or so ago i, I basically stopped listening to too much on the radio as far as jazz radio shows because you know they're de- they're determining what I'm going to listen to and if they were playing a cross section of new releases that would be fine but sometimes I'll put yes. on a jazz radio station it sounds like it, it always sounds like it's my playing the most boring boring music that's available from that time period you know I, I don't really need to hear kind of blues <laughs> right. anymore I've heard it you know eight thousand right. times and it's great and take five is great but you know there's, there was so much other music in the past and definitely right. around right. now and so you know I, I've always been a little bit against streaming and against downloads too to a certain extent it has its purpose I think if someone wants to put a couple of songs from a new CD on a streaming service, that's fine as a teaser. But if they put all their music on streaming and don't have a CD, then it's just giving it away for free. I mean, yeah, you yeah. I occasionally hear about someone who's got a check for three cents, you know, in the mail, literally. And it's, you know, yeah. if you give away your music for free, then people are going to consider it to be worthless, basically. You know, yeah, take it for granted. good point. You know, it's like if you undercharge for totally. services. It's like if you have a friend and you do constant favors for that friend for nothing. After a while, they'll just take it for granted and they'll think, well, it's not worth yeah. it. When in fact it is. So, you know, jazz musicians deserve to be paid and they deserve to get money for their recordings. At least make enough money so they can make another recording. But if if you put it, yes, if you give it away yes. for free, then people aren't going to pay for it. And yeah, no, totally, totally okay. Streaming. You know, put on a occasional song so people know who you are, but don't don't put on your entire release because it's just it's basically throwing it away, really. Yeah, I look at the way uh, Elijah's uh, distributing his uh, his songs. I mean, it's one at a time, and he gives them each uh, you know a, 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 a special launch. I mean, he's just very strategic about it, and so is. Um, uh, 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 sorry, name's escaping me at the moment, but another fellow that we had on uh, recently. Uh, again, they're 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 doing it uh, piecemeal, and uh, I think there's some there's some wisdom. There's certainly some financial wisdom in that, and uh, they they create a, a, a an interest in what's next too, which I think is you know underrated. Shouldn't be shouldn't be discounted. Um, so, jazz lovers out there, I mean, we've all got a collection, and I'm proud to call um, your book part of my collection now. But as you advise people, um, you know, towards uh, building a, uh, an archive, a, a library of sorts, uh, which which books and CDs and movies, if you could think about that for a second, uh, you know, maybe maybe a few uh, that you regard as important books, uh, a few DVDs and a few movies that you think people should see before it's all over. 
Uh, well, there's so much to choose from, really. Uh, CD-wise, I mean, if you have a recording by somebody and you you enjoy it, you know, you should probably explore the music of their sidemen. You know, that makes it uh, easy to go from one person to another and learn. I mean, it, if you start with say Miles Davis, who is still probably among the best known jazz musicians of all time, start with one of his records, and then if you like the tenor playing of John Coltrane, then, you, then start listening to his music. You know, or if you like Red Gong on piano, you know, you just spread out. It basically, uh, you'll never, you'll probably never get to hear every good jazz record ever made, but with luck, you'll get to hear hundreds and hundreds. And, you know, take a chance on today's artists. But, you know, that, I mean, that's why if you hear something on streaming of, of an artist you like, go out and buy the CD. You know, they'll, they'll make more money that way. And also you'll have more enjoyment because the way you'll, uh, you'll get line and notes chances on, you'll get to hear the entire project rather than just one little song. Yes, yes. And I think that's and, great and, advice. Uh, go ahead. And, and when it comes to jazz books, I mean, if you see, if you read something by an author, say in Downbeat or a review in Downbeat or Jazz Times or one of the other magazines, you, know, you should just explore and see, look on the internet and see if they have any books. Because sometimes there'll be books of where they'll have a whole bunch of reviews of the past or articles or interviews. You know, I mean, some of the writers who I would recommend in the book, I mostly recommend writers from the past because, you know, it's a lot easier to evaluate what they did than what today's writers do because today's, you know, today's writers are still at work in progress. Really. I, I would start with someone like Whitney Ballier, who to me is the most, uh, uh, most remarkable of jazz writers in that you could actually hear the music from his writing. You know, he's, he's on a different level. He's like the orientator mm-hmm. of writers. And, you know, for reference, yeah. on Leonard Feather books or Nat Hantoff, people like that from the past. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there are an awful lot of, awful lot of good jazz books out. If somebody interests you and you see there's a biography on them, chances are, you know, you'll learn a lot by picking up the book. DVD-wise, yeah, totally. you know, it, uh, DVDs were doing so well and then, YouTube kind of wiped it out in a way, you know, so there's not as many DVDs as there were, yeah. but I, I would go back and look at such films as the sound of jazz and uh, jazz on a summer's day. And, and anything with anything, uh, any DVD that has maybe the complete John Coltrane, because there are, he didn't, along with a lot of other artists of his era, he didn't appear on film all that much. And you could probably, he, see just about everything he did in about 90 minutes at the most. But yeah, it's, it's just a matter of just yeah. going out, keep an open mind and just explore. And, and, you know, like I say, don't set up for downloads. You want to hear the whole story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that's outstanding. And I think, uh, um, you know, the, the, there's a hundred years uh, of music now that's pretty easily accessible to us, music and film and DVDs. And uh, I think if one can be made curious, and that's, I guess, one of the things that, that you do in your good work, Scott, and one of the things this, this show hopes to achieve is to make people curious to do some exploring on their own because then they're part of the process. They're not just taking, you know, someone's advice. Uh, they're actually, you know, buying a piece of it for, from their own heart, and that's when I think you really make uh, substantive connections. Uh, I bet mm-hmm. you'd agree. Uh, 
Oh, yeah. Well, the key is, you know, just yeah. for, for me and for others who are doing this, just try to lead, lead readers in the right direction. You know, just make it possible for them to discover artists they hadn't heard of before. And then from there, it's up to their own ears, really, whether you like it or not. You know, it's make your own decisions. Don't don't take my word as gospel. I mean, I'll do my best to, you know, describe the music as best I can, but I don't expect people in the audience to necessarily have the same taste I do. It's just, I just want to, uh, you know, just point out some of the ones who I think are most important or most colorful. And, and it's up to, it's up to the individual really to discover what they like. Yeah. You, you are, uh, what I've seen of your work, uh, Scott, uh, you, you are fair. You are a fair reviewer of things. And uh, I just wonder uh, uh, a little tongue-in-cheek here, but are you able to take that hat off uh, at the end of the day? I mean, when you're up, cooped up and writing all day and reviewing and listening, uh, is that something you could easily uh, uh, leave at the door when you come home at night? Well, luckily, I'm, I'm able to do pretty much all the work at home, except for when, <laughs> except for uh, when I go out to see concerts. And, no, I mean, there's no reason for me to because, you know, it, People ask, well, what do I do in my spare time? I listen to records. Yeah. You know, there's, there's more music to hear. So, so, I mean, this is what I love to do. So there really is no reason to yeah. you know, run away from it. You know, I mean, I've had no. normal or semi-normal nine to five jobs where, you know, you, at 1130, you're kind of looking at the clock and saying, well, in six hours, I get to be home. Well, you know, so I know what it's like to work. Right. For me, this, even though it, it can have a task at a time. It's basically not work to me. You know, work is going to an office or having to do something that you're not really that excited about. But what could be more exciting than listening to the greatest music in the world? Said the man with 65,000 plus uh, albums and CDs and everything in between. I, I, I was going to say that's got to be the most uh, uh, amazing collection. And that you've got the, the grand total written down somewhere. Uh, I just love to. It's on a, a scrap of paper, you tell us. Um, yeah, I was thinking, you know, if, if you did have trouble uh, leaving your reviewer hat at the door, uh, I, I was just imagining what your Yelp reviews might be, um, like, for instance, if uh, you were to have your oil changed, uh, it might sound something like this if you were reviewing them on Yelp. I had a front row seat at the Jiffy Lube Theater on Ventura when things began to go all catawampus, like Coltrane trying to cover a Miley Cyrus song. Uh, am, am I close? <laughs> well, I, I guess. <laughs> if I, I wouldn't... <laughs> You know, but I, I, could separate, I could separate jazz from you know, the rest of life, but but to yeah, me, since it well, is life, I, think, I just let it. I just let it dominate. Yeah, t- totally. I, I I know your uh, wife Dory was has has a, a significant role in in all of your success and uh, giving you the time to you know explore all of these things as we consider your workload. Uh, talk a little bit about what it is, uh, what it, how important it is to have her in your corner. Oh, well, she loves going to concerts, and she, you know, we have different phones because uh, where where I'm listening to music is actually downstairs in a two-story house. So, I have, so I'll be playing uh-huh. something, and she'll call me up and say, "Who is that?" You know, and then she'll want to want me to put the uh-huh. record aside. Occasionally, yeah. she'll ask me to, to 
you know, say, well, the music's a little loud, which usually means that she doesn't like it much. But, <laughs> but luckily, most of the time she does. You know, and it's great to have yeah. someone, a partner who who loves the music. You know, so I'm not getting yeah. opposition all the time saying, oh, oh, why do you have so many records? You know, why do you waste time on this? You know, right. I don't hear that. Right. So it's lucky. You're, you're a lucky man, and you're married, you're married well, and uh, I'm happy for you and her uh, that you have that to share. It's a great thing when you have... Uh, you know, something that's important to, to both of you that, uh, you know, also keeps the lights on, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, good on you. I'm happy, for, as I say, the both of you. What is what is next, Scott, as we uh, as we uh, wrap up here? I, I, I uh, uh, have an idea or two for you, but uh, I'll probably do that off the air. But what, what projects are you aimed at at this point? <laughs> well... I still have the, the general project of wanting to hear everything I can, you know, wanting to, yep. it was always my goal and, and completely impossible one, of course, to get every good jazz record ever made and have time to listen to it. So, you know, it, in some ways it's good the luck. first part is easier than the second, but uh, of course it's impossible, but at least, you know, I'm trying to hear everything I can from all the great artists and just trying to, you know, I do a good job with this and lead people, like I say, lead people in the right direction and and have have a good time with the music. I mean, that that's really the, the key thing. Well, you know, you're doing um, that. Basically, and my, basically, I always said my goals in life were really two things, to, to get a lot done and have a good time along the way. Looks like you're doing that. There's evidence uh, of the same. And, um, you know, I, I would argue that, uh, there's probably no one uh, in North America doing more to to promote uh, the jazz genre. You're informing, you're educating, uh, you're you're covering everything that uh, would be important to somebody uh, getting an initial dose of it, and to someone like you know me who's uh, you know looked at a few things and uh, you know still still looking for uh more joy and more uh more new music that i can get my teeth into and uh that's because of you you're you're a trusted resource scott and uh uh everybody i have mentioned uh all of the uh players and so forth that we've had on uh, i mentioned your name and they just can't speak highly enough of you so uh you're getting through uh comrade and i'm, I'm awfully proud to say that uh uh, we know you, and uh, we hope that uh, we can do this again. Uh, the, the, the idea I had for you, and I'll just throw it out there, but um, uh, I, I think there's room for a book. Uh, in, I know you've got 12 of them in the can at this point, but maybe one that uh, focuses on the women of jazz. Uh, if you haven't done that already, I think that would resonate in particular with a whole half of the population and uh, I know I would pick up a copy, um, uh, something that uh, yeah, focuses I've, I've on. Debated, I've debated about that one because, you know, in a way, I, I don't, you know, I don't want them to be uh, separated from the males. You know, I, you know, it's like, yeah. I mean, say, say before 1960, maybe a lot of them would be considered novelties. Oh, it's unusual to have a female trumpeter, but now, now there are a lot of great ones. So it's, I don't know, maybe, you know. Yeah, I'm I mean, thinking there are books, of uh, there are books on, like, say, Italian uh, Italian jazz musicians or musicians from different areas. Right. Uh, possibly, you know, they certainly. Yeah. The, the ones that are talented, of which there are many, you know, deserve deserve as much credit as the males. Obviously, you know, I, I don't even yeah. think of them that way generally most of the time. I, I hear just think, that. Well, are no, good I totally enough, hear you know? that. Right. It does it catch my ear. Uh, I guess I'm thinking of like an Anne uh, Ronell who uh, 
wrote uh, Willow uh, Weep for Me, and uh, some of the composers and some of the people who you know probably don't get a lot of uh, recognition or notice, and uh, might be a chance to uh, touch on some of some of those contributions. And uh, there were a lot of great composers. Yeah. Well, you know, like Anne Ronell, what's interesting about her is that, you know, everybody knows her from, those who know her know her from, you know, because she wrote Willow Week for me, but not too many people know that she also wrote Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf. Mm. Did not know that, no. I even have a a recording of her doing it. (laughs) Is that right? Is that right? Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I know it's it's funny because you know those two songs have nothing in common, but <laughs> right, right. I would never put those two in the same uh, category, but uh, yeah, there's, uh, you know, you could you could write till sun up, sun down for the rest of your life and still not cover everything that I'm sure could be written about. But uh, what you're doing is more than more than just about anybody, Scott. Probably anybody, and uh, I want to encourage people to uh, buy up your books. They're all available, as I understand it, on Amazon, and they make wonderful stocking stuffers. Uh, What are some of the other titles? We've been talking uh, the last two weeks about uh, uh, life through the eyes of a jazz journalist, Uh, but what are some of the others that people might also enjoy? Well, some of of the books have to do with certain styles. You know, one of them is classic Uh jazz, which is about the 20s, and then one swing, there's one called bebop, and one is called Afro-Cuban jazz. But in addition, I also have uh, Trumpet Kings, which has over five uh, profiles, over 500 trumpeters. And I have uh, the great guitarists and the great jazz singers. And uh, the, the largest yes. book is one called Jazz on Film. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm going to say there is a book called Jazz on Film, which I think is pretty somewhat useful. And then the largest book is one called Jazz on Record, which goes from 19, tries to cover everything I could from 1917 to 1976. And originally it was going to cover up until the present time, but there's just too many records. You know, the book was getting too large, so I, I, yes. I cut it off there. And maybe someday there'll be a part two, but I kind of doubt it because <laughs> there's just too many Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Well, it's it's uh, they're all wonderful in their own right. I intend to add them to my archives and collection, and um, those will be uh, on uh, our, our under our Christmas tree this year. Lots of them, and uh, I hope hope our audience will do the same. Buy them up because they're they're wonderful, and uh, you'd be promoting the works of. Uh, a great um, American ambassador to this uh, important music. Uh, Scott, you've been very generous with your time, and I am so grateful. And I uh, just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. If we can ever help you uh, in any way, uh, these airwaves are yours, my friend. So I want you to reach out to us anytime you like, and uh, uh, we, we will hopefully have occasion to visit again. Oh, sure. Anytime. And thanks for all the kind words. I really appreciate it. I mean, there are others who are doing the same kind of work, but but I, uh, well, it was always uh, one of my silly goals in the early days. I said I just wanted to vary the competition with quantity. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. if I do this 10 hours a day, then, then people have to chase me or I have to emulate it. But, but whether I'm a, whether I'm a great writer or not, that's up, up to others to say. But I just hope that, you know, people consider my work to be honest and, and useful, that, that it helps, helps them discover new other artists. That's really the main goal. Yeah. 
you're doing that and then uh, so much more scott so uh stay on path brother and uh, we'll we'll be watching and reading and listening uh along the way uh, uh keep swinging too take good care scott okay well thanks and very good talking to you and then thanks for helping right. promote jazz that's the main thing pleasure is mine take good care yeah there he goes folks the great scott yeah now what a treat that was huh folks so much information so much uh i've learned so much just in the couple of hours we've had with him uh so seriously get to amazon take a look at his uh wonderful books uh, uh grab them up and uh i i know you'll be pleased uh with them and uh i i intend to do just exactly that uh and a quick shout out to my co-host greg rockingham who's a little under the weather uh men's fast brother we miss you here uh, and remember folks that uh all american foibles are th- through the years uh that we've experienced uh we we did invent jazz uh so let's use this wonderful medium to build bridges and not walls uh salt peanuts salt peanuts Peanuts, salt peanuts. Salt peanuts, salt peanuts. 